0: So this morning, let's have God's Word open us up to Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll be going from verses 1 through 14. I encourage that you open up your Bibles, but if you don't have it, it'll be up there in the screen, and when you're there, please rise for the reading of God's Word. Again, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Now, this is the reading of God's Word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, his glory in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory so the reading of god's word thanks be to god please be seated
1: Uh, Good morning, church. Uh, It's so great to be back. Uh, It's so great to see familiar faces and worship with uh, the church family here. Uh, I just want to share a little bit about my reflection during the past three months. Um, You know, the church had given to me a three-month sabbatical, and it was a great time, a time away where I could uh, free my mind from a lot of things. Uh, But the most difficult time during the sabbatical was Sunday morning. Uh, It was Sunday morning because every Sunday, you know, I would attend worship service, uh, go to, you know, church, um, and, you know, different places uh, just to learn and and see and experience uh, new things. Uh, About maybe the second or third week, uh, that got a little stale. And, you know, these were amazing churches, you know, large churches, you know, know, great buildings, amazing praise, you know, just uh, the preaching was amazing, and it was just all... Good, uh, but after a while, it got really difficult, and I realized why. A church service became very difficult because every church I went to, I didn't know the people there. Now, as someone who's uh, you know, it's my job to be at church, um, and you know, I think very soon I I've, I'm going to be a pastor. Uh, for about half of my, my life now. So I've been a pastor of a church for a really long time. And so I think I've always had this weird fantasy of just going to a church and not being recognized or known, where I can just slip in and out. And I think I've sort of wanted that. Can I just go to a worship service where no one knows me? I just go in and out. And I thought that I would enjoy that. I would like that. But in fact, I, I realized that, no, that's actually not it. Um, you know, I was once again reminded that worship service is not an attraction that you attend. Right? It's not you go in, you know, you find your seat, you attend, you sit down, and then you leave. No, I, I, I was once again reminded that worship service is a gathering. It's a gathering of a community, people that you know. And I think I found Sunday to be difficult every week because I would go to these churches, you know, attend worship, and of course, yes, I'm worshiping God, but I have no skin in the game. I don't know what the announcements are about. I don't care what the announcements are about. I'm not actively giving at that church. I don't know, you know, the prayer requests of the church, the people I'm sitting with, I don't know who they are. And at and at some point it just felt very distant. And then, it, and then I realized, oh, wow, there are probably many people in our own church who feel this way, who come, you know, they're just, they say in their hearts they just want to be in and out, don't want to be recognized, um, but I want to implore you that that is not really what church and worship is designed to be. You know, I think back at the early church. You know, when the early church gathered for worship, do you know how they always began? They always began with feet washing. So the rich, the poor, the young, the old, the Jews, the Gentiles, it doesn't matter what class or what background you had, the church service began with everyone washing each other's feet. What do you think that's going to do for intimacy and connection and knowledge of one another? It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I remember last week your feet were much more dry, you know. <laughs> Looks like you got a little more rest and, you know, you, you, you were able to moisturize it a bit this week. And then, you know, there was worship service, there was testimony in the church, the preaching of God's word, the singing of God's um, songs. It was so familiar. And then after, people just didn't go home to watch football. No, they stayed around and they had meals together. They broke bread. So, you know, worship was really a gathering of people that they were familiar with, that they knew. And, you know, I just want to encourage you, you know, maybe it is your intention to just be in and out. Like, I like this church because I can come unrecognized and leave, but that is not what church and worship was designed to be. And so I want to encourage you, if you feel unknown and want to get plugged in a little bit more, please You know, reach out, and I think as members, people who've been a part of this church for a long time, you know, we have a lot of work to do in terms of reaching out to people, getting to know their names, getting to know their prayer requests, so that we all have skin in the game as we gather weekly. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, During our congregational meeting today, uh, the session, we will be sharing the vision and the mission statements of our church, Eternal Life Mission Church. And so in concert with that, we'll be doing a short two-week sermon series on the vision and the mission of God. Now, if I were to ask you, imagine, picture, for the next 20 years, if you can grow in every way you desired, in your walk with the Lord, in your character, in your relationship with your friends and family, if you can grow at in, in your skill set at work, and if you can accomplish everything you wanted to accomplish And so, fulfilling the purpose of your existence, what would that look like? Picture that. You accomplished everything you wanted to do, fulfilling the purpose of your existence. What would that look like? Now, go ahead and summarize that picture of your life in 30 words or less. What would that be? That would be your vision statement. That's your vision statement. From there, the next logical question is then, how do I get there? So I have this picture of what I want to do, what I want to be, how to fulfill my purpose. The next question is, how do I get there? What are the steps that I need to take? Summarize that in 30 words or less. And that is your mission statement. Simply put, a vision is where you want to be, and a mission is how you want or how you can get there get there, or more simply, a vision summarizes the why of your existence, and the mission is the how. How do you get there? In the way that each and every one of you has a vision and mission, so also, Eternal Life Mission Church, we have a vision and a mission. As a church, in the next 20 years, we want to get to a certain point, and we have a way to get there. Now, having said all that, before we can share the church's vision and mission, we have to understand something first. We have to first understand God's vision and God's mission. Because in the grand scheme of things, Eternal Life Mission Church, we are not an independent body with full autonomy. No, we are not. We are just a local branch of God's kingdom. And so the vision and the mission of this church should be derived from God's vision and His mission. I have an example for you Uh, the company Alphabet. uh, Their mission statement is, if we can look at the next slide, their mission or their vision statement is to make the world around you universally accessible and useful. Simple, short, great vision statement. Now, Apple owns many different companies. There are many subsidiaries of Apple. And all of Apple's, or or, excuse me, all of Alphabet's subsidiaries, they are all subservient. They all fall under this vision statement. So everything that's under Alphabet, whether it's Google, Nest, YouTube, Waze, DeepMind, they are all in service of this vision. And so, for example, Google's vision What is Google's vision? It's to provide access to the world's information in one click. Alphabet, the main company, has a vision, and all the subsidiaries under it, they are subservient. They follow this vision. Likewise, the church has a vision and mission, but all of that is in service of God's vision and His mission, and that is what we have to first understand. So what is God's vision? That's what we're going to look at today. Today's passage is a well-known one. It's a well-known passage, Ephesians 1, uh, starting from verses 1 to 14. And it's pound for pound probably the richest, the deepest, the most profound passage in all of the Bible. In fact, if you look, verses 3 to 14 is actually just one long sentence. It's one, you know, run-on sentence. And it's the only uh, passage in the Bible— where doxology is mixed with thanksgiving and it's mixed with intercession. All of these things are just combined. And I think if I could only preach on one passage for the rest of my life, it would be this passage. Because honestly, mining the biblical truths in this text would just be endless. But most importantly, this passage is crucial because it contains in 12 short words God's vision statement. So let's get into it. Verses 3. It begins in this way if we can look, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul says, God has blessed us, it's in the past tense, not He is going to bless us, but He has blessed us already with every spiritual blessing. Not some, but every blessings. And where? In the heavenly places. Now, when Scripture says that God blessed us in the heavenly places, it doesn't mean that our blessings are reserved in heaven, but it means that the blessings we enjoy and have access to now are from heaven. So, as an analogy, uh, think about the most amazing cup of coffee you've ever had at home. Now, even though you had that coffee at home, those beans were sourced from another country, whether it's Colombia, Ethiopia, Hawaii, Jamaica, whatever coffee you enjoy, those beans were sourced from another country. You enjoyed those beans here. And that's what Paul is saying. When God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven, Paul is saying all the blessings of heaven are now enjoyed and accessible to us in the present. Verse 4, he says this, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Very quickly, this verse states that God chose us in Jesus before we believed, before we sinned, before we were born, before Adam and Eve sinned, even before the creation of the world. The genesis of God's election for us as His people is in eternity past in the eternal wisdom and the eternal plan of the triune God. When did God choose you? When did he choose you? Not when he saw that you were going to believe, but he chose you before the foundation of this world. Imagine your child coming up to you and asking, Mom, Dad, when did you choose me as your daughter? When did you choose me? As your son? What's the answer? What's the response? Sweetie, we chose to have you before you were even born. We chose you as our daughter, as our son, before you were born, before you were conceived, before your world even existed. Mom and dad fell in love, and when we decided to have children, that's when you were chosen. That is God's election. God, His election for us precedes any sin that we have committed. And friends, that is the assurance that there is no sin now that's able to separate you from His love. If His election preceded any sin in you, then we know for sure that no sin in the present has the power to void this election. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. Verse 5 says this, In love he predestined us. Let me just stop right here. In love he predestined us. Um, Is predestination biblical? Yes. Yes. Do we as a church believe in predestination? Yes. Do I have time to talk about it today? No. (laughs) Will it upset some people? Maybe. But is predestination biblical? Yes. And if you have trouble with that, issue with that, we can certainly talk. But it says, in love he predestined us. As we continue on, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. I just want you to notice a few things in this verse. First, um, notice how Paul connects predestination with adoption. That's the connection. Predestination, adoption. A lot of people have trouble with predestination because they consider it to be the stripping away of all liberty and choice. And if there's anything that we Americans are passionate about, it's free choice. But we find in today's passage, God's predestination doesn't lead to slavery or oppression, but it leads to adoption as children. That's the connection, predestination and adoption. Now, according to this passage, Paul says, our adoption isn't a source of shame or embarrassment, but it's a source of praise for God's glorious grace. Moving on, verses seven to eight. We're moving quickly. It says, "This in Him we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight." These verses tell us God redeemed us with the blood of Jesus. He purchased us at the cost. Of the, at the cost, and the cost was the blood of His only Son. Redemption, the next, is forgiveness of our trespasses. Legal language. Redemption was done, and the legal papers were signed. We are no longer liable for our sins. And he gave us all wisdom and insight to understand this. Now, so far, I've, I mean, I've rushed through this, but we went through a lot of dense stuff here. To summarize so far in Ephesians 1, 3 to 8, we have so many different topics Spiritual blessings, election, sanctification, predestination, adoption, redemption, forgiveness, wisdom. All of this according to his rich love, his amazing grace, for the sake of his eternal praise. Now you can sense so far as we've gone through just these few verses... That in this passage, there is a building that's going on. There's a crescendoing, and we are about to hit the summit. Even though everything we've read so far in these verses are amazing stuff, predestination, adoption, forgiveness, redemption, these are all just great things, and we can spend weeks on end at each topic. We are heading up a mountain, and we're about to hit the climax, and that climax is verses nine and ten. Verses nine and ten. This is the top of Paul's theology, of all of Scripture, what it's teaching us. It's this. This is where it's headed, verse nine and ten. The mystery of God's will now revealed in the fullness of time. This is, the, this is key language, fullness of time. Now it's ripe, it's time, it's ready. Through Jesus is What? The mystery of God's will, as it's now revealed, is to unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. In other words, if I can just put it simply, God's vision for the entire world, His vision for all of history, all of creation, is to unite Heaven and earth in Jesus. This is it. These 12 words is God's vision statement. What is God's vision statement? It's to unite heaven and earth in Jesus. That is ultimately what God is after. What God is seeking is to make heaven and earth one, to have no distinction between the two, for earth to be heaven and for heaven to be earth. All in who? All in Jesus. Now, you know, every time I talk to Christians about this, I think this is relatively new. Because as Christians, you know, we're taught just many, many things, and sometimes we miss the big picture. But the big picture that we have in Scripture is the union of heaven and earth. And as we understand this, as we start to see this, there are two, I think, misconceptions that we need to correct. And I'm going to cover that very shortly. Two misconceptions. The first misconception is this. You are not the center of God's vision and plan. You are a part of it, but God's vision so much more than just Jesus coming into your life, answering your prayers, and bringing you peace, joy, and hope. It includes that, but God's vision is so much more. It's so much more grand than that. God's plan is to bring heaven down to earth. You know, when Christianity is reduced to just me and God, my personal and individual relationship with Jesus, that does a huge disservice to the gospel. God's vision includes you, but it's about so much more than just you. You know, we saw Alphabet's vision is to make information easily accessible for you, including you, but not just you. You know, there's been a lot of talk recently about um, social entitlement and privilege, right? These are words that we hear very often, right?
0: Um,
1: And I think these conversations and just the social milieu has revealed, has really shown a light on the wrongful entitlement that we often have. The entitlement we have as a nation, the entitlement we have as our social class, our culture, and maybe even our ethnicity. But You know what's more damaging? Than being socially entitled, more damaging than that is gospel entitlement, where Christianity is reduced to just a therapeutic relationship between you and God. You know, one of the biggest mistakes the evangelical church has made is in individualizing the gospel, not personalizing it, but individualizing the gospel. Christianity, as it perpetrated individualism, the saying that we have, Christianity is all about your one-to-one relationship with Jesus. That is an unbiblical statement. Christianity is not about your one-to-one relationship with Jesus. It's so much more than that. God's vision is, is not just about you, it includes you, but it's so much more than you. It's about heaven and earth becoming one. You know, I feel as though on my first day back I'm coming down really hard on the church, but I, I, hope, I, I hope I'm not. I hope that by saying that the gospel isn't just about you, I hope that inspires you to see something bigger and more beautiful. But that's the first misconception. Thinking the gospel is all about just me and my relationship with Jesus. It's not. It's much more cosmic than that. The second misconception we have is, you know, when we think about heaven and earth, right, we often consider heaven to be a place that's way up there, a place that's far away, a place we go to when we die. And our time here on earth has nothing to do really with what's up there. We're living life down here, and as one New Testament scholar put it, we just need to muddle our way through all of this until we finally get up there. See, what we've done in modern Christianity is we've dichotomized heaven and he- uh, earth and heaven. We've separated the two. We created a chasm between the two, and we think that the direction that we need ahead is from earth to heaven, But if you read what the Bible has to say, it's actually the other way around. The movement that we find in the Bible isn't man going from earth to heaven, but the real movement is heaven coming down to earth. If you don't believe me, read the last two chapters of the Bible, read Revelation 21. At the end of the age, what happens? Do we all go up to heaven? No, at the end of the age, what happens? Heaven comes down to earth, and there's a perfect union. There's this glorious and marvelous picture of heaven actually coming down to finally being united with earth. And previously, God's dwelling place was in heaven, but when heaven comes down, Revelation 21 says, the dwelling place of God is where? Is with man. There's a union where the two become indistinguishable. Heaven becomes earth, and earth becomes heaven. Now, you start to think about this, right? You start to understand this, and you see this picture, this grand picture of what God is doing, and then everything that Jesus said and did starts to make a whole lot more sense. Think about Jesus' incarnation. What is Jesus' incarnation? It's God coming down and becoming man in other words heaven coming to earth when jesus first begins his public ministry what are the first words out of his mouth repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand it's here in other words jesus is saying when i came down that's when heaven came down not only in his pronouncements and his teachings but think about all of his miracles Why does Jesus go around restoring the sight to the blind, cleansing the leper, healing the lame, allowing the mute to talk and the deaf to hear? Why is Jesus doing all of these miracles? Is it because he wants to flex his divine muscles? No. He does these miracles to show that heaven has truly come down to earth. Why? Because heaven is a place where the blind can see, the lepers are cleansed, the lame walk, the mute can talk, and the deaf can hear. When Jesus is doing these miracles, he's showing, listen, heaven is now here. Or as we know so well, Revelation 21.4, this is the picture of what happens at the end of the age. What does it say? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. See, Jesus in his earthly ministry is showing a glimpse of heaven through his miracles. He's showing what it's like when the former things have passed away. And finally, Jesus accomplishes this union between heaven and earth when he takes everything that's wrong with this world everything that's wrong with this world, literally upon his own shoulders, receiving the wrath of God upon himself. And as he's dying on the cross, he tears the curtain that was separating God and man, heaven and earth. As he tears that curtain, what is he showing? He's showing that at his death and in his resurrection, Jesus is uniting heaven and earth. Heaven and earth is becoming one now, where God can now dwell with his people. And so, yes, the gospel teaches us that Jesus died for you and me. Yes, he died for us. But more importantly, more cosmically, Jesus is defeating Satan. He's putting death to death itself, and he's uniting heaven and earth. That's why when Jesus resurrects from the dead, he was born again with a new body, a new body that was imperishable, incorruptible, a body that was fit for life in heaven. So what is God's vision? Why did God create this world? Why did God choose us? Why did God allow sin to rampage on, and why did God send his Son? Why did God send his Spirit Why did all of this happen? What is going on? What is the story from beginning to end? Where are we headed? We're headed to first, God creates heaven and earth. Sin breaks, creates a chasm between heaven and earth. And in the death and resurrection of his son, he's uniting these two. And in his second return, all of heaven, not just Jesus, but all of heaven will come down and be united with earth. That is the grand vision of God. Edward Edward Thurneson in Eternal Hope says it best. He says this is a quote: "The world into which we shall enter in the coming of Jesus is therefore not another world. It is this world, this heaven, this earth, both, however passed away and renewed. It is these forests, these fields." These cities, these streets, these people that will be the scene of redemption, at present, they are battlefields full of strife and sorrow of the not yet accomplished consummation. Then they will be fields of victory, fields of harvest, where out of seed that was sown with tears, the everlasting sheaves will be reaped and brought home. This is the vision that Scripture is giving to us. Let me conclude by just saying this. In the beginning, I asked you, what is your vision and your mission statement? What is the why and the how of your life currently? Well, you know, no matter how well-crafted and socially responsible your vision statement is, no matter how family-oriented or charitable your mission may be, Your vision and your mission for your life has to be derived from God's vision and His mission. And this is not out of guilt or out of pressure. But the Bible is presenting us all with something better, something lasting, and something eternal. This vision And Scripture is calling us together as His people, as His church, and as individuals to buy into this and to live our lives to have our vision and our mission derived from this. I believe football season is starting today or the first game is going on today. You know, no matter how talented of a wide receiver you are or a linebacker you are, if you just have your own plan, your own vision, your own mission, and you're just running around in the field absent from the team's plan, it's just complete chaos. You're not coordinated, and nothing will ever go your way. But the calling this morning is that you would see this vision of what God is doing, and that you would give every exertion of your life to see heaven and earth united in the areas that God has called you in the places that God has placed you in the people that God has called you to, that we would all buy into this vision of seeing heaven and earth ultimately united to the praise of His glorious grace and the riches of His love. Would you join me in prayer at this time? You know, we we covered a lot of ground today and, you know, I just simply want to remind you that it could either be despite your vision and mission, God is going to accomplish all that He will do, or it could be in coordination or in tandem with your vision and mission statement, God will accomplish all that He is going to do. I know it's the most convenient thing for us is to kick God upstairs. We leave him in heaven. We say, we'll run things down here on earth. And when it's our time to go to heaven, we'll go. But that's not what God is seeking. What he seeks to do is to bring heaven down to your life. His grand vision is to unite heaven and earth in him. And I know we say this uh, proverbially, but, you know, we say things like, work is hell. Family is, is hell. Relationships are just so difficult, it feels like hell. That's the reverse of what God is doing. God wants it so that every area every sphere of your life is occupied by the reign of God by His authority, by His power by His word and by His love so what is it that you and I should be after what is it that we as a church should be after is to see heaven and earth be united is to have the areas that God has called us to be in heavenly where the rule and the reign of God is would you just take a moment to reflect on that would you pray about that trust me this church isn't the only place where it should be heavenly it's all the areas, all of earth would you take this time to reflect and to buy into that vision this morning let's pray Thank you Jesus once again for this reminder that it's not just about me that it's not just about itty bitty Jesus in my itty bitty heart it's not just about me and Jesus and what goes on but it's about so much more it's about the redemption of this whole world and you have called us to be a part of that help us to see the big picture this morning help us to see that it's more than just about us it includes us but it's more than that. And would you call us now to buy into this wholeheartedly that every exertion in our body, every muscle, every fiber, every resources that we have would be to see heaven come to earth in every possible way. As we long for your return, we pray these things in Jesus' name.